0: Hello and welcome. I am John Bridges of Guild Financial Advisory, Masters of Finance, and it is my very great pleasure today to welcome to the microphone Gervais Williams, Premier Fund Manager from Premier Mighton. Tell us about Premier Mighton. What sort of funds have they got in total and what do you manage? So Premier
1: Mighton is an independent quoted fund management business. It's a business which actually has a range of funds. It's particularly probably has a long history of actually delivering multi-asset funds. These are a mix of bonds and equities and property and such like. Um, But actually, the area which I'm involved in is on the single strategy funds. These are funds which are more dedicated to a single area, maybe the UK or maybe a part of the stock market, maybe income or small companies. Uh, And so the nature of it is that we, like many other fund management groups, are hoping to add value through stock selection. But I think being a small business and with the opportunity to do things as we think, uh, can add value without too much constraint from all sorts of uh, past histories. We think we can actually deliver a return which is more attractive than many other investors. And indeed, the funds have done pretty well over the years. My particular role is I'm head of equities. I oversee uh, most of the fund managers in terms of making sure the environment's a good place where people, good people can excel. But most particularly also, I work with Martin Turner on specific strategies, particularly equity income funds in the UK and small and microcap funds in the UK.
0: You mentioned microcaps. It's, it's it's well known that you have built a considerable reputation for yourself in uh, what we call smaller smaller companies. Why microcaps? How did you get into that in the first place?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. When I first started in the financial world... Um, I worked for a company called Throgmorton, which was an investment trust, is, And they had their own dedicated fund management business. And they always had a bias towards small and micro-cap quoted companies. And so right from the very start, I got involved in the companies. Now, of course, these are described as micro-caps, but of course, they're big companies. They generate... Uh, profit and they have you know, tens or, or, or thousands of employees in some cases. Uh, they often have an operation which isn't just in the UK, but international as well. So they're only microcaps in, the, in comparison to the very largest companies, Shell and such like. Uh, but they own themselves, they, because they're quoted, they tend to have a better balance sheets. And being quoted, they can raise extra capital and grow at a faster rate. And being small at the start uh, they probably have a longer period of growth and they can sometimes, because they're immature, they're serving an immature market, they've often got structural reasons for growth. So, so they deliver a return which is less correlated. It's not just like the main stock market. And over the longer term, they,
0: they've outperformed according to London, London Business School data. Yes, indeed, you've certainly proved that to be the case. Yeah. We'll, we'll come back to some fun specialities, but I want to wander off in one or two other areas. Quantitative easing. We had lots of that during the COVID um, nonsense Uh, was it really necessary to do the amount of quantitative easing that was done? Or is it that that has contributed to the inflationary pressures that we have now?
1: Now, what's been interesting about globalisation generally is that we've had a plentiful supply, you know, plentiful overseas suppliers. uh, And so supply has been uh, relatively strong uh, and demand hasn't been as strong as supply. So we've had uh, a fairly benign period for inflation. Um, What happened with uh, the pandemic was we saw... The ability to supply was reduced, uh, and more recently with the Ukrainian conflict, we've actually seen it reduce further. But meanwhile, uh, governments have stepped in to keep people employed through furlough payments and indeed quantitative easing. Uh, And if anything, they've overcooked the demand side of things. So demand is now exceeding supply, and that's where inflation has come from. Right. And unfortunately, the only way you can actually squeeze out excess demand is to actually raise interest rates and actively reduce the ability uh, of demand to be there. You you, you squash demand out of the system. And that's an uncomfortable process. Companies get less sales. They tend to get more competitive, and so you get profit margins. And so we're entering a period where we expect profitability to come under severe pressure, in part due to interest rates rises in part due to other cost increases such as energy and of course uh, with tax raises we've seen as well so from that point of view wages all coming through it's an uncomfortable period it's a difficult time to invest but opportunities for the companies which are best positioned not just to survive but thrive Uh, and that's uh, many microcaps in our view
0: so is globalization over
1: yes i think um I think globalization, the seeds of the end of globalization were already evident back in 2016. I wrote a book at the time called The Retreat of Globalization, which was talking about the distrust building between perhaps some of the Asian markets and some of the Western markets. If you remember Huawei, uh, a, a telecom Indeed. supplier, um, was, decided we wouldn't buy the cheapest product. We would buy a local product, which was more expensive because we were less trusting about the Huawei product. Alongside that, with the election of Trump, he was more keen not to export the manufacturing jobs and keep them in America. And so we saw the seeds of uh, globalisation coming to an end. But it was only really more recently when we saw the pandemic that that accelerated that process. And I think we can now say with a relatively confidence that actually globalisation is past, yeah.
0: You mentioned books. I was going to bring that up at the end, but uh, you mentioned it. uh, It was 2016 the last time you wrote a book. That's right. Is there another one brewing in your mind?
1: I, I haven't got one at the moment, but, but, but I think there's plenty of subjects to write about because I think we are in a period of very substantial change. I don't think this is a kind of cyclical period of, of change. I think we're looking at a profound sea change in market trends. And as a result of that, I think many of the strategies which have worked well in the last 10 and 20 years are going to be more challenged. But many of those strategies which have not been very popular will become a lot more popular going forward, including, in my view, UK smaller microcap quota companies.
0: Right. Thank you for that. Um, a major head fund in the states has hedged ten billion dollars worth of European equities, but not UK ones. How do you think UK compares to the rest of the Europe? Was he was he right to differentiate as well?
1: Yes, I mean the UK is obviously uh, we're part of Europe, but in terms of financial terms, we're probably more uh, different from most of the other European markets. That's not just those in the EU, but The UK has a heritage of of financial markets. And most particularly, it has a heritage in inflation. If you go back over the last 100 years, we've had inflationary episodes over a number of times, although of course less so in the last 30 years. Everywhere's had less inflation in the last 30 years. So we have a heritage, really, of delivering returns when things get difficult. And when things get difficult, cash gets short. Consumers run out of cash. uh, Companies run out of cash. Governments run out of cash. So if you've got a business which generates surplus cash as a starting point, first of all, you're in a strong position. You don't go bust so quickly. But much more importantly, when other people can't invest, you've got a surplus of cash. And that gives you disproportionate return on that capital. And being quoted, if you get a particularly attractive seam of investments, you can then raise external capital from institutional investors and others. And that allows you then to actually scale up the opportunity and generate uh, extra return for your clients. So actually, the nature of the UK stock market is for the last 30 years, No one's been interested in in equity investments in in equity income stocks because you wanted to buy uh, much faster-growing companies, companies with negative cash flow. Many of these so-called unicorns in the US, for example, and they've made huge amounts of money for clients who've invested in those. But going forward, as I mentioned, I think we are looking to see change in terms of the investment climate. I think we're looking at real challenges to companies which run out of money and, and those which are running negative cash flow models such as unicorns Probably run out of money even faster than others. Yep. So I think we're looking at this really uh, major turmoil, a, a great r- rotation, a great reset in, in investment markets. And I think the UK is superbly positioned for, for that, actually. Uh, and most particularly, the UK doesn't just differentiate itself in equity income and having safer companies, but also it differentiates itself in having not just mid and large, but smaller micro caps. Very unusual. Most global markets have plenty of mid and large caps, but they don't have many smaller micro cap quoted companies. UK is differentiated from that. And the great the as I said earlier, of small microcaps is often they're immature businesses supplying sectors which have secular growth trends because they're immature in themselves. And so they can often deliver attractive returns, even when the global economy is moribund.
0: Aqueous Markets, I'd say, stock exchange where I have historically been fairly active under its different past names. It is going through quite a revival at the minute under new and strong management. How do you think Aquis stacks up compared with the AIM
1: market? The AIM market is much more developed. It tends to have a much greater institutional presence. The Aquis market is a more specialist market at the moment. It has fewer companies. And one of the features of the Aquis market is that actually companies don't trade very often. Not all of them. There are some which do trade, but in general, they don't trade very often. And so the big question, and I think this is a challenge for all markets because I think uh, market liquidity tends to be more constrained in in, in bear phases. And I think we're going to get a lot more bear phases going forward. So I think market liquidity in the A market and indeed the mainstream market will become much more uh, patchy going forward. Uh, And so I think there's an opportunity for actually us to do something different to the past. So what I would recommend going forward is that they have different uh, listings on the Aquis market where they pay the market liquidity providers extra return. So you might have uh, an Aquis listing where there's no commission, minimum commission level at all. Some uh, operators might offer you 0.1% commission, others might offer 0.5% commission. But you might have another listing where the minimum commission charged on those transactions is 0.2%. Well, the reason that would then be interesting is that there might be more market makers who are willing to actually make markets in it. And because there's more capital, you get more liquidity and people would like to trade in these things more. And then, of course, you might have another listing environment where you might have 0.6 or even 1% uh, uh, minimum commission. Now, this would make it much more profitable for liquidity providers to provide liquidity. Uh, As there's more liquidity, you would find there's more opportunity to deal. And as there's more opportunity to deal, you find institutional interest would go up. I think this is going to be a feature. Interestingly enough for you, John, and this is nothing new, is that minimum commissions were something which were banned in 1987. I do remember. And, and actually, whilst there were some features perhaps about them which, which, which were anti-competitive, longer term, we need to provide liquidity in the market we for the market to be effective. And markets have lost out over recent years by driving down the commission that rates they pay to the extent that liquidity itself now is becoming quite problematic.
0: This is a revolutionary idea that you just put across to me.
1: But I do think it would make a massive difference because markets are about liquidity. They're about to wage share prices. They are. And then when you get a liquid market, then you get information. The financial prices give you information, which then allows you to make uh, informed decisions. And you get trading. Absolutely. And
0: prices, go, shares go up and down. And absolutely. All those things that I've seen a bit of during the course of my life.
1: Absolutely. And we need to I will... We need to be precious about liquidity. It's absolutely the cornerstone of markets, good liquidity.
0: Something else I wanted to talk about. In 2020, which was a dire year for the markets as a whole, mm. when uh, our FTSE 100 nudged 5,000, you did rather well in one or more of your funds because you you had some sort of put option arrangement. Is that right? And have I remembered that properly? And how did that work?
1: So a put option is a bit like uh, car insurance. Uh, it means that if you have an accident, a crash... Then you get the cost of your car back. Um, now in that case, uh, you have a minimum you know you have to pay the first thousand pounds or first hundred pounds., yep. that's a bit like the put option. The stock market has to go down beyond a certain level. but thereafter, the more the stock market goes down, the more you generate a put option with value in it. Yes. And the key isn't just that you generate a cushion for your fund. And in our funds, uh, some of them were 25% covered, some were 40% covered. But not it's not so much you generate surplus, cash surplus at the time, but you can then sell it and take the cash. And at a time when everyone else is selling stocks and valuations are very cheap, you can then buy more shares so that you actually participate in greater upside. So the key issue is that they do well in periods of Stock market setbacks. Now, as I say, most of the time, the stock market doesn't have a big setback like it did in 2020. So from that point of view, they end up costing you money a bit like your car insurance. You don't get your premium back again. But on the other hand, if you keep the premium down to little tiny sums, say less than 1% or 1.5% per year, then it's disappointing to lose your premium. But at least you've got a, a fund which hasn't had a stock market crash. And when you do have a stock market crash, it doesn't just mean you survive, but you take advantage of the setback to actually deliver extra return. It was a very unusual set of circumstances. Nobody knew a pandemic was coming, but the risk ward ratio of that was very helpful for the funds.
0: Have you put a similar structure in place for 2022?
1: Yes, in a word. Um, the problem with uh, car insurance and put options is sometimes they're too expensive. So uh, during the, the, the 2021, for example... Uh, for most of 2021, the cost of buying the insurance, the crash insurance, yep. was just too expensive. And, yes. and, and so it was only towards the latter part of 2021 when we felt the costs were low enough. And so we put a, a position in that stage. Uh, what's been interesting about this year is that stock markets around the world have come down quite a bit, uh, except the FTSE. The FTSE has been slightly impolite. It hasn't got the message, and it stayed up pretty well. So we have a put option on the FTSE because it's cheap and it's liquid Indeed. and it's easy to trade. So, in fact, it hasn't really worked this year to date. We don't know what the rest of the, world, what the time will bring. It extends through to December of this year. Uh, we don't know whether things will hold up or, or go down, but if the markets were to get caught out by profit warnings or unexpected events, then, of course, at that stage, the put option might well come into place.
0: Thank you for that. So are you expecting the markets to drop dramatically this year? Well, they've already dropped back quite a bit. I they mean, have.
1: you know, if you take uh, the mainstream markets, the US markets, they're down something like 20 plus percent. Uh, the Nasdaq market has been down as much as 30 percent. And if you look at it in dollar terms, not so much in, in sterling terms, but in dollar terms, the A market's down something like 33 percent this year. So it's had a quite a big pullback. Yes, so, so, so we've already had a big pullback. What I don't know is um, how bad the profit warnings will be. We are going to see more profit warnings. As I say, when you raise interest rates, you suppress demand. And when there's less sales for corporates, they tend to outcompete each other and you tend to get profit margin compression going on. And so you get falling sales and falling profit margins. I think we're going to get quite a lot of profit warnings in the second half. So I don't know how the markets will take it. My assumption is that it'll be disappointing for markets. They may well drift lower. On the other hand, they've already come down a long way. But the great advantage is that the UK quoted companies are generally pretty strong. So even if their share prices go down, as long as they don't need extra cash, they've got more recovery potential when things get better.
0: Let's come back to smaller companies, if I may. What are you looking for when you're looking at smaller companies? What criteria do you apply that will be really helpful to know because you have just done so extraordinarily well in them over consistently over a long period of time. What what are the things you expect to find in each present in each company that's presented to you?
1: So, so there's two parts of it really. Um, companies which generate plentiful surplus cash, it doesn't matter whether their share prices go up or not. Once they've got plentiful surplus cash, they've got raises of options. They can invest a little faster. They, they can buy back shares. They can pay a dividend. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of opportunities for them. So if we can find companies which have been investing for a period where there's the potential for them to generate a, a big cash payback on all of that past investment, and they generate lots of cash surplus relative to their current valuation, then that puts them in a very strong position. So we're looking for companies which over the next couple of years are going to surprise or have a good opportunity to generate cash surpluses. So that's the first thing. The second thing we look for is a business where the management team are in close alignment with the rest of their, 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 their staff body to deliver not just good, but outstanding customer service. We think ultimately... Profit margins are quite closely related to the ability to deliver premium service. So, we look for companies where we think the management team have a real ambition to deliver not good but outstanding customer service, where they measure service levels internally, so they're aware of where things are going well and where things aren't going well, how they compare with last year, uh, perhaps mystery shopping in some cases. Uh, we look, and this is an area where actually in many presentations there isn't much in the way of content in the presentations, yeah. and it gives us a differential. Yeah. Really, if we, if, if, you know, if we find the ideal company, it's not just interested in delivering customer service, but it's interested in the methods of delivering customer service. So we we really like a management team to be very closely aligned to the frontline staff, frontline staff who are delivering the service. And if you've got a, a team of frontline staff, who feel that the management team behind them are trying to make it easier for them to deliver, not good, but outstanding le- levels of service. It's very motivating and engaging for them. And they love it. They tell all their friends. And you get a business where you get in this virtual spiral where the business is is very well loved by its customers and very well loved by its, by its employees uh, and, and clearly is delivering something which is above the competition. And in that point of view, as it grows and becomes more well-known, it generates this surplus cash, and hopefully the long-term returns are very attractive in that case.
0: Surplus cash and smiles on people's faces.
1: Absolutely. Which
0: makes a huge difference, doesn't it? We have read in the last year one or two good examples of what you're talking about and one or two examples of the reverse. Yeah, and when it's the reverse, it shows in terms of. Well, that's right. I mean, I think
1: if you get companies which get caught out with uh, poor customer service for whatever reason, maybe they run out of money or can't recruit enough staff. You know, you can see some of the um, some of the transport companies have been in this problem recently. Um, and 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 that will definitely lead to, uh, in our view, uh, more difficult to make profits, and in some cases, uh, companies making losses. And of course, if you're making losses, you have to fund them, and you don't have the cash and all the rest of it. So it's just, uh, as I say, profit margins are quite closely related to customer service and that's why we're so interested in those features
0: right so let's consider where we're going in the next couple of years politics inflation they the obvious points but everyone has a view but not everyone is going to be right yeah. where do you see things going let's start with politics this is a good area what do you think is the view of politics the next couple of years what do you see happening I,
1: I see uh, things becoming more divisive, to be honest. Uh, what happens is during a period of globalization, we've had a and in, 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 in between wealth and quality, for example. But, but if everyone's doing pretty well, their mortgage rates are going down, uh, uh, they're able to borrow quite easily, um, you know, then everyone gets rubs along. What we've seen more recently with inflation is, of course, uh, there's real pressure uh, for people to generate cash. Corporates are struggling to pay wages. A lot of individuals are struggling to pay their heating bills. And so we're in a period where there's uh, dissatisfaction to start with. We're seeing more strike action as a result of that because people say, you'll quite understand, I just need more money to buy food and, 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 and fill the car. Uh, So we're seeing that happen. So I think what we'll see is actually the the two wings, the left and the right wing, becoming more separate. And I think that'll make politics more divisive going forward. And that's not just a UK thing. I think you're seeing that in Europe and you're seeing it in the US and other places. We're seeing more division, unfortunately. So I think it's going to be more unsettled. I think there'll be uh, less uh, uh, willingness to rub along with each other. I think this will be a problem which leads to more... uh, in, in of political values in, in businesses, for example. I think business will become a lot more political as an issue. And if you're thinking of making people redundant, then obviously the politicians will have plenty to say about that. Yes. So from that point of view, I think it's going to get a lot more business, difficult for businesses. Uh, so it's going to be tough. But on the other hand, I also think that the UK is different from most other stock markets in the world. We tend to have businesses which tend to have stronger balance sheets. We tend to have businesses which are left borrowed. So actually, they're more resilient They're they're going into this period of tension with stronger balance sheets. And as a result of that, hopefully, they're not just able to survive, but their differentiation versus other businesses which are more borrowed or businesses which uh, have been more ambitious and been running uh, cash flow negative models uh, means that they will actually do better. So we look back to the 70s. What we saw then was actually politics was pretty dodgy, to be honest. It was. Um, uh, the UK stock market was nearly one of the best in the world, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's because of that difference. If you've got companies which aren't just resilient but able to thrive at a time when others are struggling, ultimately that becomes very attractive and you see that come through. So the UK stock market I think is well positioned to deal with uncertain politics despite the fact that it's uh, it's not an attractive option.
0: Indeed, and, and likely to become less attractive in the short, short term at I'm least. I'm afraid so. Yes.
1: I am sorry to say that, yeah.
0: Green economy. This was all the buzz a year or two ago, but the world's changed a bit uh, with energy crises. Is there reason to fundamentally perhaps change some of the views that have been uh, embarked upon? I mean, mean, I'm not suggesting we go back to digging coal up, but but there are perhaps things which ought to be be looked at again. What do you think?
1: Absolutely. I think the nature of it is... That, um, you know, maybe a year or two ago, there were people who were saying, well, why don't we just turn off the filling stations? We've got some electric cars coming. But of course, you to have this period of transition. You can't just say there's electric cars coming and those people with petrol cars can't use them anymore. Right. You've got to have a period of transition. And I think that was slightly forgotten uh, the last two or three years. I think what we've seen, particularly with uh, problems with, Uh, pandemic and and supply, not just fuel, but other materials, uh, is that actually it's become more problematic. And so businesses haven't been able to operate. Some factories have had to close, etc. So that's a starting point. We need to actually be more interested in closer supply. Uh, The second feature is security of supply. With the Ukrainian war, of course, we've now got uncertainty about whether some countries will be able to supply us going forward. Mm -hmm. And there's a gas shortage in Europe and all that kind of thing. So I think all of these features uh, suggest that actually we'll move closer to home. We'll be more interested in developing the North Sea for energy we'll be more interested in, in finding ways of some of the local minerals and, and perhaps Cornwall and other places to come through so I think this is all going to add to a, a more a, a more a period of localism really and, and i 'm not saying global businesses won't have a, a, a place in portfolios going forward, but I think it's going to be a massive rebalancing where you're going to see actually uh, more interest in smallness and perhaps less sort of certainty about mid and large caps. Uh, And I think that that balance will be very good for the UK market. I think we lead the world in UK small and micro cap quoted companies. I think that feature about smallness won't just be something which is attractive to UK investors. I think it'll be attractive to international investors. I think the UK will come to dominate the world in small and micro cap quoted companies, which may become one of the better performing parts of the market against the UK market, which outperforms the world as well. So it may start performing versus international markets as well as relative to the UK as well
0: that's a pretty powerful thing to say isn't it, I mean, it's, it well if it's right of
1: course um, but I do have a high conviction this isn't just a, a trivial thought I, I did wrote, I write a book you mentioned earlier about the books I wrote yep. I wrote a book called The Future of Small back in 2014 Indeed. And, and it was all about this pattern change which we were looking forward to Okay, albeit several years ago uh, and the UK has outperformed uh, small companies in the UK have outperformed the mainstream market but as the UK has been so overlooked as a stock market venue for the last 30 years so what mm. you could have made more money in international markets in mid and large caps elsewhere but as that as that as the heat goes out of a lot of the international competitors uh, as those markets come under pressure because they've got their own problems then you'll find that this interest in small and quoted companies will become more mainstream institutional investors will start to get involved
0: so what sectors have you been buying le- lately and your, your small cap at the end of things well
1: the truth is we're very open-minded we don't really mind where we look and that's the advantage you've got such a range of business models you've got such a range of different industry sectors that actually you can get involved in in, in different companies and in many of them they're kind of miscellaneous it's not even as though they've got a very classical sector uh, the area which we're trying to avoid is is companies which are running cash flow negative models so many of the companies which are a bit like nasdaq businesses yep. you know uh, sort of rapid growth. But, but, but all in or, 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 or risk of going down to nothingness, uh, those are not the kind of companies we're buying. We're buying companies which are very soundly placed, very strongly positioned in terms of generating cash. Now, that does include uh, companies which often invest in quite large amounts of capital. So this might be the mineral sector, the mining sector. Yep. It does include uh, a lot of uh, energy stocks. And it does include uh, certain companies which have uh, uh, financials, for example, which have a lot of capital, which get the benefit of rising interest rates in some cases. So those are kind of core areas. But we also have other companies in different areas where we feel there's just opportunities as well. As I say, you know, it, it is such a range of, of, of stocks. It's hard to say where we're buying because it could be anywhere. Yeah. But, yeah. But, but the main thing is we do need to be cautious about those sectors which have done well in the period of globalization. They're probably going to struggle a bit. Um, The companies which haven't done so well, manufacturing, for example, could be a really rich seam for investment going forward. We haven't got many manufacturing stocks at the moment, but we'd like to invest in manufacturing. Defence, unfortunately, we're probably going to see more capital going to defence. So these are areas where we see the UK is relatively immature in terms of the number of holdings you can buy, but we expect more listings in those areas.
0: So there are no problems, there are only opportunities.
1: Is that right? No. I mean, we we, we always have problems, but, but the nature of portfolio investing is that you have different areas and, in general, they don't all disappoint simultaneously. They have different reasons for disappointing. And so most hopefully succeed, a few disappoint. The net effect is that clients make out, uh, hopefully attractively.
0: Gervais, thank you. This has been a fascinating, fascinating session with you. Thank you for answering the points I have raised and expanding on the ones that need expansion on. I know that the listeners to the podcast that we... At Guild Financial Advisory will put out or be fascinated by this. I particularly enjoyed your comments about market liquidity Gervais, thank you once again for spending your time with us today.
1: Thank you very much, John And It's a pleasure to be here. You know, I enjoy the conversation We've known each other for years and let's be honest. This is this is what business is about It's about talking one-to-one very and, much. And, and, and comparing views and we all have slightly different perspectives but the main thing is collectively We have the opportunity of generating not just businesses which succeed, but companies which generate productivity improvement, which means they can afford to pay wage rises uh, above inflation, companies which generate uh, employment, skillful employment, which means there's more jobs for people who don't save, and most particularly, local businesses in many cases, which pay more to the exchequer and there's more hospitals and schools. This is absolutely socially useful, and we often don't talk about socially useful features, but actually... The UK, particularly the UK smaller microcap area, is an area which is socially useful for non-investors as well as investors.
0: Indeed, Gervais, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, John. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcast app. This content is issued by Guild Financial Advisory Limited, which is authorised and regulated in the United Kingdom by the Financial Conduct Authority for designated investment business and is a member of the Acquis Stock Exchange. Nothing in this podcast should be viewed as investment advice. Listeners should consult an investment professional before making any decision regarding topics mentioned in this podcast. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and not of Guild Financial Advisory. Please note that participants within this podcast may have financial interests in the matters discussed.